Boom. Good morning, guys. I'm Scott Weatherford. Really glad you're here. Uh, just kind of a big crowd for Labor Day. You guys must have had nothing to do, right? Oh, I know what it is. You couldn't find gas, right? <laughs> Let me tell you a gas adventure. Uh, Friday, we were going down to Victoria and, uh, and Referio and others to check on the hurricane damage. So Thursday afternoon, I needed to put gas in my truck. So the great gas shortage that was propelled by a false rumor on Facebook, did y'all know that? It was all not true. There was plenty of gas, but everybody had gas at the same time, so then there was no gas. But uh, So I tried from the Austin airport, finally came here, took all the gas out of the lawnmower cans <laughs> to fill up my truck so I could go to Victoria. But we went down on Friday. In fact, it was uh, myself, Tara, uh, my wife, uh, Scott Tidwell, who's part of our staff here over facilities and, and, uh, and a bunch of other stuff, and then uh, two pastors from Arizona. A big church in Arizona called me this week, uh, Palm Valley Church in Goodyear, Arizona, right outside of Phoenix, called and said, hey, we want to help you guys with this, uh, your response to Harvey. So uh, that pastor, Ryan Nunez, a good friend of mine, he and I have the same conviction that the local church is to be the hope of the world. Uh, organizations, uh, NGOs, non-government organizations, the government, so forth, they are to exist to help the church, not to replace the church. So we want to be the tip of the spear in bringing help and hope and relief. And if I've had several conversations with pastors in, in that light over the last few days that we're going to lean in together. In fact, the pastors of the churches affected uh, the areas affected said that to me. We would rather have you, Pastor Scott, than name the organization. Because we know that when it's done, you're still going to be there. So we went down and we drove down and we took a look. And we went to Referio, first of all. And Referio was kind of a small little forgotten place uh, on the edge of, of Victoria, about 45 minutes south, kind of right in the middle of the, uh, of the path of the hurricane. And this is what we saw. This is pictures of the First Baptist Church of Referio. So if we could get that up, Jessup, Brian, somebody. There it is. So this is, uh, that looks like that's kind of like some damage, but look at this next slide. This is interesting. Uh, this is, that's their roof. Do you notice anything about their roof? There's the great man of God observing the, uh, <laughs> the devastation. It looks like Joshua standing at the wall of Jericho. Uh, but that, that the devastation was significant. Probably that whole building is going to have to be uh, tore down. There's the inside of the building, uh, and it, it's, just, it's just pretty bad. The damage was pretty severe, as you can see. If the rapture came, nothing stopping you between. Uh, that, that'd be the church to be in if that was the case. But how are we going to respond? What are we going to do? This is some things we've discovered in these days. First of all, Harvey broke their hearts but he did not break their spirits. We met with uh, Pastor T. Wayne Price there at First Baptist Church Referio, and uh, he is now saying, what are the next steps? Do we rebuild? Because it looks like this building is going to have to be destroyed. I'm not an engineer, nor the son of an engineer, but I can see when walls have huge cracks and things like that probably are not going to make it. And they said, are we going to rebuild on this site? Are we going to relocate? What do we do now? Is there going to be a rebirth, a revitalization of this church? which is probably a big yes. So we pledged that we would jump in and help him, and he needs our encouragement. His church needs our long-term commitment. They don't need to be one and done. We need to, to show that, and we pledge that to them. Uh, Refirio 
which I love the news media. They call it Refugio or something else. Refugio, uh, along with other small towns outside of Victoria and then towards the coast, will be forgotten by everything that's going on. Houston's going to get a lot of attention, and it needs it. Houston is a disaster. Beaumont is a disaster. In fact, they're saying that the water in Beaumont will not recede for another week or so, and people are flooded there. They're going to need our attention as well. But right now, these coastal communities are completely being forgotten. Tivoli, Placido, uh, Palacios, Rockport, Woodsboro. Uh, Sean has a family in Woodsboro. Woodsboro is a little nothing little town that has no power and probably will not have power for another week or so or two weeks. We watched the power company in that remote part of Texas building, uh, rebuilding the, the infrastructure. So it's going to take time. So we've decided that we want to lean into those places. Now, we're up here in Wimberley, so it's going to be hard for us to, to really muster and, and get down to the coast. So Pastor Mike Hurt, who's the pastor of Parkway Church in Victoria, Texas, Parkway is the church that Tara and I started in 1992. Mike Hurt was our youth pastor. He is now the pastor, and they have agreed that we are going to partner with them to mobilize and to reach out to these small, these small areas. So we're thinking about RV City there on parking, uh, the parking lot of Parkway, uh, kitchen facilities, all those kind of things, so that we can send teams in to do some cleanup and restoration. Now, Wimberley is uniquely prepared for this. Do you know why? You've been there. You know what it's like to have your city devastated. So God's going to take our misery and leverage it into our ministry. Now, some of you are saying, well, you know, I'm too old to cut down limbs or clean out stuff, but you're not too old to pray and put your arms around and encourage people who've lost everything. As I talked with this pastor, he teared up three times that we would actually drive there and, and see face-to-face -face with him. Not only is Palm Valley Church in Arizona going to partner with us, but also Parkway Church in Victoria is partnering with us. Two other churches in Victoria said, hey, we went on in on this. Uh, two churches in Alabama have said, we are probably not going to be able to send teams, but we're all going to be able to send cash. And instead of giving it to these organizations, which are well-meaning, they're going to give it to this organization that we might be the hope of the world. So they're going to help do those things as well. Um, I talked to David Sean, who's the chief of staff at Saddleback Church, and Pastor Rick Warren, one of the largest churches in the United States, has said they're in it with us as well. So this is pretty incredible stuff. I heard one person clap. That's great. They're from California, yeah. So that's pretty exciting as well. So Pastor Rick, through David, said, when you see these pastors, you tell them I'm praying for them, I care for them. When I told this pastor, I said, this Pastor Rick is doing, he just like teared up. He's like, what? I am not forgotten? No, you're not forgotten. We've reached out to other pastors in Wharton and in uh, Tavoli and in uh, all these small little towns, and we want to strengthen the church. And here's our deal, y'all. We want the local pastor and the local church to be the hero. All we're doing is going to come beside them because we are Wimberly strong. We're going to take our Wimberly spirit to Texas, and we're truly going to be uh, the diamond in the heart of the hill country. We're going to do the good that needs doing. So I'm excited about that. So what do we do? What do you do? All of this stuff, what do you do in response? So here's some things I want you to, to think through. We're going to have to make some staff adjustments in order for this to become a reality. So over the next week or so, we're going to be visiting with our various committees and teams and talking about how we might mobilize and move some of our staff to give primary focus to this. Why? Because you do not want Pastor Scott handling the details. 
You want Pastor Scott being hugging folks and being the dancing bear, okay? That's what you want me to be. And so we're going to get somebody actually is going to think through this. Uh, Pastor Wyatt is now, he's, uh, he's at a conference I sent him to to look at global missions. He's there, and he'll be back, and he's going to really spearhead that. And Scott Tidwell is also going to be stepping into this role about organizing and implementing our teams. Now, some of you say, I want to go, and we want you to go. So what, this is how I want you to respond. I want you to email Scott, scott at fbcwimberly.org. Or, or .com, scott at fbcwimberly.com, and he will help you. You say, I want to go. Now, you say, well, I, I can't go uh, one day or two days, three days. I can't go for a week. I can go for a day or two. We're going to be organizing deployments based on people's availability. Uh, talking with Pastor Mike, he said, if you could send a team that spent the night, went out, and then spent the night and came back, that would be awesome. Now, a lot of us could do that on a weekend. Now, there's an opportunity immediately to help in Pflugerville. In Pflugerville, they, uh, the First Baptist Church of Pflugerville, along with us, has a, a food trailer. And they're preparing meals every day for uh, 2,200 people who have evacuated to Austin. And if you want to cook and help prepare meals, we're going to be sending teams out from here um, uh, about three times a week. You say, well, I can go one day. That's awesome. Or I can go three days. That's awesome. I can go two or whatever. And so if you're interested in that, uh, Scott Tidwell will be available at the information booth at the end of the service. You can go out and say, hey, get me on this list. I'm interested in going and helping prepare meals and serve there in Pflugerville. That's really close. You can do that. Over the next several weeks, we want to take up a special offering for disaster relief. All the money we give to this fund will be spent on disaster relief, helping provide people to get there, accommodations, food, cleanup, those kind of things. All those kind of things cost money. Now, some of you say, well, I've sent money to the Red Cross. That's awesome. I've sent money to Samaritan's Purse. That's awesome. But we're going to need, what we need to do is we need resources to do that. So I'm going to ask you to give over and above your regular giving because we have stuff that still has to go on around here. We have a ministry that has to go on around here. So over and above, give to this so that we can provide the needed resources to make this happen. Now, our stewardship committee has already committed a certain amount of money from our budget to, make, to give us a seed pool for this so we can have this set aside so we can start work immediately. So that's already, uh, already taken place. So let's join that and let's, let's give. And you can encourage your family and friends to also to give through First Baptist Wimberley, tax deductible, of course, and we'll make sure the good that needs doing is done. The, the next big thing, you can say, hey, I'm in. I want to go. I want to go. We're going to need all kinds of skills. Uh, ripping out carpet, pulling up, you know, cutting limbs, uh, a lot of, of just encouragement. And we'll offer training before you go, just-in-time training, so you can do uh, your job there. Uh, Tara and I have both been trained in crisis chaplaincy, and I know some of you others have been as well. Everybody has to tell their Harvey story, and you need to listen to them. And that's what you do. And then you pray with them, and you encourage them, and you give them hope. And uh, long-term commitment is really, really necessary. Now, looking at a bigger picture, drawing back and looking at a bigger picture, I think that God is up to a revitalization of his church in Texas, and God's going to leverage the disaster of Harvey to help the local church, help other local churches be the hope of the world. And y'all, we're the tip of the spear. We are Wimberly strong. And God is leveraging our misery for a ministry, and so I think we could lean in with full board. The last thing, obviously, 
it probably should be the first thing is pray. Pray and say, God, what do you want us to do? When we left on Friday, we said, God, we don't know what we're going into. We're going to ask you to direct our path. And he did. Uh, we, we went right to Refugio. We met with that pastor. Every mosquito in the universe lives in Refugio right now. And they're big. And I had one land on me. He just drew a big vial of blood. He flew off singing, there's power in the blood. It was <laughs> terrible joke. Mosquitoes are bad. The people are, are just really... Refugio was a depressed little town to begin with. Now it's a devastated, depressed town. So let's lean in. And I'm sure other towns are going to be the same way. So let, let's pray. And we have to ask the Holy Spirit, where do you want us to go? We had a bunch of things in my truck. We had water, Gatorade, other snacks. Uh, the snacks we gave to the first responders there in Refugio. We had a bunch of other stuff. I pulled into a Mexican restaurant in Victoria to eat lunch. And a lady there who went to the church that I pastored, she hugged me and she said she was so glad to see me. She said, Pastor, my neighbor's collecting stuff to go to Placido. Do you have anything? I said, yes, I've got a truck full of stuff. And we loaded her up and that all went. So God's going to direct our path if we will be fast and fluid and flexible and dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Does that sound good, y'all? Yeah, so let's lean in and let's let God use us for his glory, and we'll see where, and it's not going to be over in a day. Also, I've been, re, I've had uh, contact with two other pastors, uh, one in, um, <clears throat> excuse me, three other pastors, one in, in uh, Wharton, one in um, uh, League City, and one in Galveston. So there are going to be more that are going to reach out to us. So uh, we're going to do what we can do, and uh, then we're going to partner with others, and I know that God's going to raise up an army, and he's going to bless us because we're willing to be used by him, okay? So I want us to do this right now. I want us to pray for, for the people suffering right now through Harvey. So Father, thank you that, you that nothing escapes you. This did not sneak up on you and through the natural course of a fallen world that things like this happen. But Father, you are faithful and I pray that in the middle of this disaster, you'll show us how to be faithful like you're faithful. And I pray that you give us eyes to see and ears to hear and that we'll have wisdom to be and become what you desire us to be and become. So thank you for what you're going to do in and for and through us. We pray for these victims. We pray, God, that they find a restoration, a revival, a renewal. Even today, as probably First Baptist Refugio is gathered now, that you will encourage them in this season. And I thank you for how good you are. And I pray that you just use us for your glory. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So this is the last week of the 12-week series of The Pursuit. Now, some of you have heard that theme music so much, it plays in your head at night. Or you've heard it to a place where you're just tired of hearing it. But we've been in this series looking at King David, his mighty man, and living face-to-face -face with God. And hopefully through this series that you've really been encouraged. Now, last week, our attendance was so low that I decided to preach twice as long as usual today to help you guys who missed last week. No, I'm kidding. I fully understood. If I wasn't preaching last week, I wouldn't have come to church, all right? But that's, that's probably a confession I didn't need to make. All right, but anywho, every life, every one of you in this room, you make a difference. Your life leaves awake. Things that follow you. Now, some of the things that follow you are good. Some of you are bad. Some of you leave trash on the banks of relationships. Some of you live blessings on the banks of relationships around you. Uh, your life ripples into eternity. 
Uh, the Bible says in Exodus chapter 20 that the sins of the fathers visit the children to the third and fourth generation. But the blessings of those who fear the Lord and love him visit the, the children to the thousandth generation. Sin lasts for a season. Blessings last extended into eternity. The average person in this room, and of course, in this room, there's no average people. There's only exceptional people, right? Your life influences a minimum of 10,000 other people. 10,000. Now, some of you, it's greater than that. And some of you, maybe a little less. But it's just the average person, 10,000 people you influence, whether it's at a gas station, whether it's a casual meeting. Now, some of you that travel a lot, you influence a lot of people. Because people, you know there's a place in your brain called the amygdala? that The amygdala picks up on senses of others around you. It creates a mood. So the Beach Boys were right when they sang it. I'm picking up good vibrations. Thank you very much. I'll be here all week. Okay. But that, that truly in your brain is that piece where you're picking up. So you're influencing. I think about this on an airplane. I'm there in an airplane. I love flying. It always has its ups and downs. But, <laughs> but I think about what kind of, what am I projecting? What am I giving off? What, what positive, uh, you know, that, that's what, what, what kind of spirit is God working in my spirit to bear witness to other spirits? What's God doing in my heart and my life? that is showing that, that I'm influencing. Now, I think about this. The bottom line is my life really matters. And it causes me to examine my life, to look at me, myself, and say, what am I doing? What should I be doing? What's going on in my heart, my choices, my attitudes, my words, my relationships? Am I building, what, what am I building that's affecting the course of my life, of the rippling of my life? Now, with these thoughts, kind of echoing my mind, I have the realization that I really need Jesus. I really do. I need his power working within me. I need his indwelling spirit to help me and so I can live well and I can be a blessing to others around me. So many times, y'all, in the church, we think it's all about us, that I'm going to live for Jesus so I'll, I'll, I'll have a blessed life I'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, and I'll go to heaven when I die. But that's not it. That's part of it, but it's not it. My life is meant to be a blessing to you. My life is to be given in such a way that it encourages and uplifts and blesses you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus working through me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus working through you that I'm a blessing to you and you're a blessing to me and we live in a blessed community that we literally are overflowing to be the hope of the world. In Romans 12, Paul, he really instructs, our, instructs us to give our lives as a living sacrifice. And this is spiritual transformation and that ripples into eternity and ripples into the lives of others. But there's something deeper here that I'm in a relationship with the living, loving God. When I prayed all those years ago and said, Jesus, I'm yours, something happened in my life. Something happened in my heart. There was a spiritual transaction that started a process in me that makes me more like Christ. Now, we could call it discipleship. 
And that sounds so academic. Or we could call it sanctification. And that sounds oh so proper. What I like to call it is becoming like Jesus. That God wants me to think like Jesus, to speak like Jesus, to hear like Jesus, to have the mind of Christ. And I can't do this without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit living in me. So what God has done, he's entered into a covenant relationship with me. God has said to me and to all of you who prayed and said, Jesus, I'm yours, that I am going to do this whether you're faithful or not. I'm going to work in you because now you belong to me. And see, a covenant relationship is that I will keep my promise even if you don't. Tara and I have that covenant relationship in our marriage. When I asked her to marry me that fateful night uh, in 1980, was it 80, baby? I know you got it marked in your memory. When the magic happened, okay? That night, that was creepy. And the night that um, I asked her to marry me, I said, Now look, there'll be no divorce. There'll be no divorce. We're in it forever. And she was thinking to herself, Murder, perhaps. Because we have a cut. I said, I will, even if you want. I will always love you. And nothing but death will ever separate that love for you. And even then, I'm going to haunt you. Till you come be with me, or vice versa. So it's an unbelievable level of commitment that God has said to me. Now, what God has done in this covenant relationship with me is that he's indwelled me with his spirit, he's empowered me through his spirit so that I might live all for him through his spirit. And it's changed me. So we're going to look at the life of King David and hear what David said in the last part of his life. Now, this guy, David, was only one or two people who had the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in his life before the New Testament, him and John the Baptist, and how his life rippled and what we can learn from that. Then we're going to turn and look at Romans 12, and we're going to look quickly about how God wants to put this in us so that we might live all for him. Okay, you guys ready for this? That's five. That's exciting. Let's pray. So, Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you'll help me be succinct and clear and speak words that build up and not tear down. Speak through me, Jesus. We're dependent upon you. Customize this talk for these that listen. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, go ahead and take take the weekend with you notes. Uh, I I provided some extra reading for you this week. You can read along. Uh, Next week, we start First Life. I'm excited about that. That's seven weeks of really taking a look at who we are. Now, I'm doing something I've never, ever done before. On Sunday night, September 10 and September 17, I'm going to show you the game plan. Now, I've always had a game plan. Every church I pastored, we had a game plan. But I never showed the congregation the game plan. I showed the staff or I'd show our key leaders, but I never showed the congregation. Because, you know, I figured, yeah, they'll, they'll figure out what we're doing, and they, they really don't want to get in the weeds. But here I decided, since we're Wimberly strong, that you guys need to know what's going on. So in a spirit of transparency and say, hey, come on and see, uh, we're going to take the, the lid off and we're going to look under the hood and we're going to see what we're doing as a church, why we exist, who we are, what we're about, what do we value, all these things. Now, some of you say, well, I don't want to go to that. Well, don't go. 
Others is going, well, I want to see this. Well, come on, and we will have ice cream to top it off. You know, ice cream will get some of you there that really could care less, right? But this is going to happen here, and this will give us an opportunity to really understand what we're doing here because people are down on what, not, what they're not up on, and so we're going to do that. And I think it's all the uh, – last week we, we postponed the business meeting about the bylaws because of the weather, and we, we put it on the 24th, and I think this is a great move because now you'll see how our structure fits in with our game plan, and it'll all make sense. So I, I encourage you to come. Uh, Wednesday night we'll do a Q&A for those of you who want to more information, and then it'll help you. Does, does that sound good? Yeah, and then First Life is seven weeks of really taking a look at who we are, and we're providing all kinds of extra stuff for you as well. But see, King David lived for God, therefore his life rippled into eternity. Listen to what David said to his son Solomon at the end of his life. This is from 1 Kings chapter 2, 1 and 4, 1 through 4. As the time of David's death approached, he gave his charge to his son Solomon. I'm going to where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep each of his laws, commandments, regulations, and stipulations written in the book, in the law of Moses, so that you'll be successful in all you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep his promises he has made to me. If your descendants live as they should and follow faithfully after me, all their hearts, with all their hearts and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, David said this to Solomon not knowing that Solomon would sort of keep the covenant, then Rehoboam, his, his grandson, would blow it, and then pretty soon all of Israel would fall to the Babylonians. He said, well, God broke the covenant. No, he didn't, because Jesus is a descendant of King David, that God brought the covenant back because God keeps his promises even when we don't. It's a covenant relationship with God. And so David started this relationship with God. In fact, it's called the Davidic covenant. God said he was going to do this. David kept that. And this ripple was sent from father to son based on the covenant. If then I will relationship with God. God is the keeper of his promises. He does this by and through his character. Now, do you know people that, um, their mood swing, one second they're up, next second they're down, or one second they're grumpy, and one second they're not grumpy. Somebody asked Tara the other day, did she wake up grouchy in the morning? She says, no, I just let him sleep. <laughs> just vacillating. See, God's not like that. God is consistent. The theological term for God is his, he's immutable. He does not change. His immutability gives us security. He doesn't give us what we deserve. He gives us based upon his character. Now, he disciplines us. He shapes us. He blesses us. He encourages us. And he, he chastises us. He does these things because he wants us to become like Jesus. But he's consistent in his character. And he keeps his promises consistent with his character, not your behavior, which is really, really important. Sometimes God wants to move in your life but you're not ready for him to move in your life because he has to work on your character a little bit more for him to work in your life. So he keeps refining you, keeps focusing you. And one thing I've discovered about God, his favorite tool for shaping me is adversity. And now in the crucible of adversity, 
I think he's going to shape Texas. Texas is always, already showing its incredible heart for how we're responding to one another. But I think God, somebody said, well, where's your God? He, he led to this disaster. I remember people saying to me when Katrina wiped out New Orleans, well, that's God's judgment. Those people happen to live in Houston. Well, they say it now. God judged Houston? What about 2015? God judged Wimberley? Or was it a disaster that was brought about through a natural occurrence that God will leverage to create and build our character? God's faithful. He doesn't throw up his hands in desperation, but does extend his arm and his love and compassion through us, his people. I think that's pretty powerful. And God is faithful even when I'm not faithful because he's a covenant relationships. And my commitment to God, you get this, this is really important. My commitment to God will then shape my commitment to you. My commitment to God will shape my commitment to you. See, God is the God of relationships. And this is found throughout Scripture, and it's revealed in his covenant promises. Now, I'm going to take you on a quick theological journey through the covenants of God. Now, some of you go, what? But I'm going to take you on this quick, this quick, I'll let you see kind of what God says. The first covenant that God gave to, to man was in the Garden of Eden. He created man and woman. It's called the Edenic Covenant, the Covenant of Eden. And he gave this, this covenant. He placed him in the Garden of Paradise. The Garden of Paradise is a glimpse of heaven. A glimpse of heaven. Heaven is going to be a restoration of the Garden of God where you lived with his presence is always there. The abundance of everything is there, a beautiful place. We have no idea how long Adam and the woman lived in paradise before sin came. We don't know. We don't know if it's 10 days or 20,000 years. We have no idea. But we know that they were living with God and living together in God, and the promise of God was the very place of, of the dwelling, which was the garden. One day, one day, He's going to bring you back to the garden. It's called the new heaven and the new earth. He's going, to bring, he's going to restore it because sin stole it. The next covenant of God is called the Edemic covenant or the covenant between Adam and God. God saw them and they sinned and, and he asked the great rhetorical question, where are you? Don't play hide and seek with God. He knows where you are. Hello, he sees around the corner. There, there they are. He asked the rhetorical, where are you? <laughs> Duh. Who told you you were naked? That woman did. She's not naked. And he cursed them with sin. And he said, sin has brought this upon you. Man, you're going to try to find your identity from what you do. And women, you're going to try to find your identity from your relationships. And they're both going to be bankrupt. And to look at the snake. And he said, snake, you don't even have a leg to stand on. That's what he said. <laughs> I know. Sorry. I've told that before. And I will tell it again. All right. And so he cursed them. But the Edemic covenant was this. Even though you're cursed, even though you're kicked out of the garden, I'm going I'm to cover you with animal skins as a foreshadowing of my covering over you. 
I will cover your nakedness with my graciousness, with animal skin. And one day there's going to be a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, one like you but not like you, who's going to come to, to dwell among you and redeem you from your sin. You're going to have a kinsman redeemer. And when Eve gave birth to Cain, she said, he's here, I've born him. Now the English translation says this, I've born a man. And what really it says in Hebrew, I've born the man the kinsman redeemer, and he was the first murderer. But God said, there is a promise in your brokenness of redemption. Then we go to the next covenant, the covenant of Noah, a Noahic covenant, that God destroyed the earth with a flood, and he said to Noah, to Noah that I promise you, never again will I destroy the earth with a flood, but I'm going to redeem you, I'm going to restore you. And he gave the rainbow as a sign of the promise. The next promise was, the Abrahamic covenant, where he said to Abraham, even though you're barren, you and your wife can't have children, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation. And through, through your family, the world would be blessed. I'm going to send the Redeemer through you, and I'm going to give you a sign, a blood covenant, the sign of circumcision. He says, I'm going to do this because I'm going to redeem, and I'm going to restore, and I'm going to renew. Abraham, through your family. And he picked Abraham's family, the Jewish people, not as an exclusion or elitist or entitlement or racist, but he chose them to be a nation of priests that they might be his representative to bring restoration and redemption to the world through Jesus Christ. The next covenant was the Mosaic Covenant where God brought the Hebrew children out of Egypt and he brought them into the desert and through Moses he gave them the law. The law. And the promise of the covenant was the law that says you're going to live in such a way that's going to glorify God, that you're not going to be Egyptian. You're going to be my people. You're going to be a nation of priests. You're going to be mine. And I'm going to give you the law to show you how to live. And here it is. And you will be my people. You will be the people to restore, to redeem, to renew. And then we go to the Davidic covenant where he says to David, a man after his own heart, God's own heart, he says, and through you, I'm going to bring that kinsman redeemer that King Jesus will sit on the throne to bring redemption, restoration, and righteousness and renewal. King Jesus is the promise. And then we have the new covenant. And every covenant that was built upon was finished at the cross of Christ. When Jesus died, he established the new covenant that we might be made right with God because God has died for you. And we're renewed because of the covenant promise of God. God allows our lives to ripple into eternity because of Jesus, and we live all for him. I know that's a lot to absorb, but as I, as I think through this, I'm overwhelmed. It says this in 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all of God's promises have been fulfilled in him, Jesus. That's why we say Amen. And we give glory to God through Christ. So I look at this and I think about this and I think about how God's lined all this up through the generations to me right now, to living in Wimberley, Texas, to me being your pastor and me being a dad and me being a papa. I love being papa. Being papa's awesome. Uh, if, I, if I'd have known grandkids were so great, I'd had them first. They're awesome. And I love that. I said, how then can my life ripple for God's glory? What could God do in me for his glory? 
Now, this is what I discovered. I want you to write this down. The key is not getting all from God I can, but giving to God all that I am. It's not getting all from God that I can, but giving to God all that I am. And see, when I do that, I become a blessing. Now, quickly, look at Romans 12, and I want to just take you through this quickly to show you how this works. First of all, I have to look at the inward me, the inner me. What's going on in me? If I want my life to be an impact and be an influence, what has to go on in me? Let me read for you. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, it's actually brothers and sisters in the original, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, to not be conformed to this world, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And your mind cannot be renewed without an encounter, a life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through grace, the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think so that you have sound judgment as God has allotted each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body and all members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. And you're going, what? Huh? Well, let me just pull that apart a second because I think, you, I, mean, I think you're going to see this. First thing Paul says to, to us is he urges us. I mean, this is not some kind of passive thing, not a suggestion. The word in, used in the, the Greek language here is parakletos, which is the same word used in John for the Holy Spirit. And it means to literally come alongside you, put your arm around and say, hey, let's do this. Let's go. It's that pulling close to say, and not only let's go, let's go together. What Paul was saying is I urge you to do something completely crazy. And that's give yourselves completely to God. Now, he did this in such a way that it was culturally relevant because people in that day believed that they, they kind of lived dual lives. They had their spiritual life and then they had their regular life. Can you imagine people thinking that way? You know, we have our work life and our home life and, and a lot of times our private life doesn't match our public life. We're different. And what, what God's saying to Paul and what God's saying to us is, Quit being schizophrenic. Be one person all the time. Figure it out. You live all for Jesus. You live all for Jesus. I remember when our kids were little, I'd get mad or do something, they'd go, really nice, pastor. <laughs> they learned the art of manipulation young. But isn't that true? And Paul said, I urge you to present your bodies, I mean, present your whole self, because Paul was talking about a theory called Gnosticism that divided people. Your spiritual life was, was good. Your flesh life was, didn't really matter. So your fleshly life, you can do anything you want to. God's grace will cover you. He said all you want to. You know, it just doesn't matter. And mostly sexual immorality. Just do what you want to. God will forgive you anyway. And so they live this life. And Paul's going, no, 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 no. Live one life. Live a life all for Jesus. And then let God change your mind. When he changes your mind, he'll change your body, which changes your mind, he'll change your behaviors. 
You see, it's not what I show up to that matters. It's what, I sh- what shows up in me that matters. You see, if you're coming here to these gatherings thinking somehow you're doing God a favor, you're not. God's doing you a favor because he's pouring life into you that you might live differently away from here in consistency. You see, God wants me to be self-aware that I can deal with my entitlement. I can deal with my elitism. I can deal with my arrogance. And I can realize that not only is he wants me to become like Jesus, that's called sanctification, but he wants me to live like Jesus in the body that I can use my spiritual giftedness for his glory and your good. He wants me to be a blessing to you. Now, a lot of times I hear people talk about spiritual gifts and they think it's all about them being fulfilled, but it's not about you being fulfilled. It's about you filling others. And while you fill others, God will fulfill you. I also heard people use spiritual gifts as an excuse not to do something. Well, I'm not gifted to do that. Well, suck it up, buttercup, do it anyway. I told my wife the other day I wasn't gifted in washing dishes. I'm exercising my spiritual gift of washing. I am pretty bad at it, though, aren't I, Tara? Yeah, she's somewhere. She might have left after all this. So it's that awareness of spiritual gifts, of my inner me. But then there's the outer me. That's the public of who I am. Listen to what Paul says here on on in Romans, Romans 9 through 15. In fact, our memory verse for the 99 days of prayer is in this passage. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Now, here's our memory verse. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of saints, practicing hospitality, blessing those who persecute you, bless and not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. So when my life is transformed, when my life begins to ripple, this is basically love in action. That I'm not just going to say I love you, I'm going to show I love you. I'm going to demonstrate. As I read this passage just then, kind of jumped out at me, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, over the next several weeks, we as a church, as we lean into disaster relief, we will put that into practice. We'll rejoice and we'll weep, and it's okay. It's okay. And then this, in turn, becomes shared living. We live a life sharing together with King Jesus. We're in this together. We're a nation of priests. We're we're. We're a church called together to be used by God. We're not individuals. We're together. We're a community. That's when we talk about you need a group. You, you need a group. You need the people you're identified with. Next week and the following weeks, we're going to do something called group in a bag. We need to have lots of groups started. And Tom and Tara have devised a way to make it simple. To just start a group. And we'll talk more about that next week. Group in a bag. Grab it. Go. Get a group. We're going to make it easy for you so we can live in community together. And then we'll, in, in the process of living together, 
we start having Christ-centered reactions. That the mind of Christ, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus, that my mind can be transformed. And this literally is the new covenant being lived out. This is literally a glimpse of heaven lived out. When we dwell together in unity and we meet each other's needs and we reach out to a broken world, we're showing the world a glimpse of what forever is going to look like. Now, y'all, I know sometimes we think about heaven. We think about, well, there's, we're going to be angels sitting on a cloud playing a harp. Boring. That ain't going to be like that. Or I remember my pastor saying, heaven's like one big church service. Just shoot me. I don't want to go to that. I want to have fun. Heaven is going to be filled with relationships. Heaven's going to be filled with joy. Heaven's going to be filled with the presence of Jesus. We can give a glimpse of heaven by living in community now. And we can make it so irresistible. What starts here could change eternity. All for Jesus. The average person in this room influenced 10,000. You are far from average. Let's live a life that ripples all for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I'm going to make this commitment. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours.